Well, welcome to Mariner's Church. Thank you guys for coming and being part of today. Um, I'm Paul. I am one of the pastors here at Mariner's. It's wonderful um, to see you. Beautiful day God has given us. And, and then you're here and you're chosen. That means a lot. Hey, if you were here a couple hours ago, um, you would have seen a big crowd out there of parents and kids and buses. We had several buses as we send our kids away to camp at Hume Lake for um, this week. Um, they're on their way right now. Um, and it's a pretty big deal. It's a, it's a big thing. It kind of highlight for a lot of the kids for their, their whole summer is going to camp, you know, and it's a great camp. Um, it really is. It's, it's a privilege to be able to get in, get our kids to go there. I, I, I see this every year, uh, the different expressions on parents' faces as they're saying goodbye to their kids. Parents of little kids, you know, there's anxiety, there's worry, there's tears, you know. It's like, oh, you know, it's going to be a hard week. You know, they're dreading the week. And I have to go around and tell them they'll be fine. They'll be fine. They're going to a great place. They'll be okay. And, and then the parents of high school kids, they have a big smile, you know. They're going, yeah. So, so I asked one, I said to one couple, I said, you guys are empty nesters, what are you going to do? And they said, three o'clock, we're going to Vegas. So there we go. <laughs> hey, these are, whether they're young or, or, or older, they're our kids, meaning that they are part of our church family. And they're not just the kids of those people, they're ours, they belong to us as a church family. And some of these kids that are going to camp, we had them actually dedicated up here in the front. And we committed as a church to love them and pray for them and to, to, to encourage them in their faith. And, and this is as it begins to unfold. This is how it's working. And so since we promised to pray for them, then we're going to continue to pray for them. And even right now, I'm going to invite you to bow with me as we just simply pray for um, this week in camp for our kids as they go there. Okay, Lord, um, God, thank you that um, we have so many kids here, and um, we're able to have them go to a place where for a week they're going to be able to hear music about you and praising about you and speakers that will help them be encouraged in their faith. And if they don't know Jesus as Savior, they will have that opportunity again and again to accept it. And I pray that not one of the kids that went from our church would come back without knowing your incredibly deep love and your grace and your mercy and kindness and salvation through Jesus. And so I pray, Jesus, that you would save people up there. Safety um, as they drive up, endurance for the counselors, um, those that are going to be working with kids, wisdom for them, God, as they have conversations with our our kids. um, May they guide them correctly and wisely and we thank you. And God, now thank you for this time that we can spend um, together. And thank you that we've been able to sing songs of praise to you and now grow and understand you a little bit better. And give me the right words in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, thank you. Thank you so much. I don't know if you ever had this happen um, to you. I have. You're driving or you're walking or riding or skating, whatever you want to do. And, and you're thinking how great life is and how good life is and how wonderful it is. You know, it's, life is just it's, it's really good. You're thinking it couldn't get any better. It just couldn't get any better. And you look over and you see somebody who actually has a little bit better than you. And all of a sudden, you don't feel all so good and great and wonderful. You know, the car they're driving is a little bit better than yours or the skateboard they have is a little bit better than, than yours. And the buzz that you had of how great and awesome everything is just kind of goes, goes away. You have a, a, a Model 9, they have a 10. You know, yours is 10,000 BTUs and theirs is 
30,000, you know. Yours is a 250 and theirs is a 350 with a Hemi and a turbo and four on the floor and two in the trunk, you know. You just, you just think, wow, you know, I, I wish I had what they had. And all of a sudden, this great feeling that you had that everything was good and, and great kind of just go, goes away. And now what couldn't be better now could get a whole lot better. Have you ever that happened to you? You know, you just think, wow, you know, if only I wish I could. The series that we're in is, is we're kicking it off today. It's called Hope to Overcome. Jesus made a great statement. He said, take heart, I've overcome the world. And in the Bible, when it talks about the world in the New Testament, it talks about the world's system. Ultimately, it's going to be talking about the whole way that the world works and its brokenness. Jesus has overcome the world and all of its brokenness and bestness and can give us a life outside this world or in him forever through, through his death on the cross. But it also talks about the world's system the way that the world operates. And one of the things that the, is big in this world is the whole concept of comparison. And that's what we're going to be talking about. Jesus has said, I can help you overcome that which kind of is a big buzzkill for you. And that is comparing yourself to other people. Craig Rochelle of Life Church says this, where comparison begins contentment ends. Isn't that true? I mean, isn't that true? Where comparison begins, your contentment ends. Once you start getting into this whole comparison thing, you're no longer content. I mean, you're no longer satisfied with, with, with what you had. And we're going to talk about overcoming this. Now, it, it's never been easier than today to compare, okay? Because we can always see what somebody else has or is doing or is wearing, why? We got those little phones that you can pull up and you can see Instagram or you can see Facebook or you can see Snapchat or you can see whatever it is. And what they seem to be doing or what they're doing seems to be way better than what you're doing. Or what they have seems to be a whole lot better or look a lot more attractive than what you got. I might be having a good day. You know, I'm working in the yard and, and I look on, on Facebook and, and all of a sudden there's a posting and they're on their second vacation. You know, a surprise trip to Fiji, you know? And, and, and I just mowed the lawn. I filled the trash with bush trimmings and fixed the sprinklers. But they're at the pool, you know? They're at the pool at the resort. And they have that picture that everyone seems to post, you know? They're in a lounge chair, and you can see what? You can see their book and their feet and the pool, you know? You can see that, and they take a picture of that. And all of a sudden, you know, I'm thinking... I hate that stupid book you're reading. And I, I really hate that stupid pool. And I really, really hate your ugly feet. Okay, so don't, don't, don't bump those pictures. Now, our theme for, for this year is, on the back, is Esperanza. Uh, it's hope. And, and we've been defining hope, because we're not talking about hope this whole year. God is in control of life. And he's in control of my life. And no matter what happens, whether it's good or bad, He's in charge of it, and because he's in charge of it, it's going to be what? It's going to be okay. It will be okay. Now, if I compare, um, all of a sudden, it's like a bolt thrown into this machinery. It begins to clog everything up. Things don't work smooth because comparison is like a wrench in the works. It screws things up big time. If I compare, I get envious and jealous 
And if I get envious and jealous, my attitude towards you is not so good. And if you have it better than I do, and I wish that I had what you had, all of a sudden I'm beginning to doubt that God really is good. And he's in control of this. And this is why this thing called comparison is both very, very practical and very, very, what I'll just simply call theological. It's got deep roots not only in the essence of how I behave and my attitude, but also in how I believe God is actually working to me or towards me. The Bible says this, when they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they're not wise. You know, in in layman's terms, you could say if you're going to compare, you're kind of dumb, okay? You're not very bright if you're going to be doing that. You compare with somebody, it just doesn't work. And and for always, it's always a lose-lose thing. It's a lose-lose thing whenever you compare. Um, If I compare my life to yours, and it looks like your life is better, how do I feel? How do you think I feel? Think I feel great about life and about myself? Of course not. I feel down. You know, I feel really down now. I get down on life. I get down on myself. God must not love me. Woe is me. You know, no one's got it as good as me. Or then I start giving reasons why your life is better. Oh, if only I had your rich uncle, you know, then life would be easier for me. You see, we make excuses. If only I had the breaks that you had, then maybe my life would be better as well. Now, if I compare my life to yours, and it looks like my life is better, you know, is, is better than yours, it makes me feel superior, which, which is probably worse, you know, because then I become smug, you know, and then I become arrogant, and then I become a jerk, you know? I become something that I would never really want to be, and I hate in other people. God must love me because look how he's blessed me, you know? God must not love you. I must be a pretty good spiritual guy. And so no matter what we do in this, we either come away feeling horrible about ourselves and God or better than we should feel about ourselves. Pastors do it too. None of us are immune from this because we're in this thing called the world and Jesus overcome it and therefore we need it. We, we, I shared this story last fall. Um, as a staff, as church staff, we're always trying to learn new and better things and grow in how to serve the community better and serve you guys better and just be simply better um, um, for God. And so sometimes we'll visit other churches and we will talk to their staff and meet with them. And so we went to a church up in Santa Rosa. Remember I told you the story? We went up to church in Santa Rosa and we drove up there and, 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 and they said, we'll turn left here and you'll, you'll see all this open land. That's our land. I'm thinking, you know, they have all this poverty, open land. But the open land is not just simply fields, it's vineyards, you know, because it's, it's wine country there. And, and, and we, we pulled into the thing, and they're kind of giving us a tour and taking us around. And they bought in the middle of a vineyard, and they still have on the church property a working winery going on, a working winery on, on their church property. And the staff is looking around, and they look at me. And they said, how come we don't have a winery, Paul? You know, how come we don't have a winery? And I thought, we have a creek, you know, and if you guys are any good, you just turn the water into wine, and there you go. We don't need it anyway. But they had, they had um, beyond this, they had this warehouse, you know, that they had converted into a 900-seat auditorium, okay? 900 seats, big, 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 beautiful thing, and they're running 1,500 people. 1,500 people they're running a week, a weekend. And, 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 and Brett started the church two years after I came here two years after I came here, and they're running four times as many people as we are. Um, and I began to think, well, the reason he's able to do that is because. Do you see what we do? You see what we do? 
Was there any joy in my heart? You know, as I began to do this comparison thing, happiness, you know, thanking God for the success. Do you see what comparison does to us? Envy does, what jealousy does. It begins to just, it begins to do, do this. A heart of peace gives life to the body. Yes, it does. But envy, here it comes, does what? It rots the bones. And what a apt way to put it. It just began to rot out my bones. And I began to barely listen to what they're saying about how God has blessed them and God has worked in their life. Because you begin to think through, why not me? You know, if only I could. And those kinds of things. I can never fully follow Jesus. This is a great statement. If I'm always comparing myself to somebody else. I can't. Because it interferes with my practical life of loving you. And it interferes with my, my, my spiritual life of loving God. I can't love you with with as I love myself, and I can't love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. And those are the two great commandments. You see what he's saying here? I cannot fully follow Jesus because I'm breaking the two commandments. I'm not loving God with everything because I'm beginning to doubt his goodness. I'm not loving my neighbor because I'm beginning to resent their success or feel superior if they're less than me. You know, we, we, we always work, try and work through that. How many Facebook followers do they have? How many hits do I get on my, on my posting? How much their house is worth? How many friends she has? And what we're basically saying is, I need validation here. I need some validation. I can't fully follow Jesus in all of this. The Bible says this in James 3. It says, where jealousy and selfishness are, there will be confusion and every kind of evil. Confusion and every kind of evil. Because I will begin to put you down here. The religious guys hated Jesus, and one of the main reasons was what? Jealousy, comparison. Jesus has more followers than they do. Therefore, I'm justified in hating you. And it's terrible because you can't be happy and you can't let other people be happy when we do the comparison. And all of a sudden you think a little thing like comparison, oh, it's just a little simple deal. You realize it's the world, and it's from hell, you know? And it makes our lives like hell. So how do I, how do I get this thing fumigated out of me? Because I gotta, I gotta get, it, get, it, get it taken care of. First of all, you have to recognize your unique life. Recognize my unique life here. Let me explain that one. There's two reasons we compare. One of the reasons is insecurity. Um, every time I compare, I'm expressing my insecurity. I'm not secure in who I am. I'm just not secure in what I've got. I don't like myself, I don't accept myself, I think I need to be somebody else. And I'm saying to the world as I compare, I'm just not happy in who I am. The other root is a mistrust of God. This is the theological root here. God, you didn't do it right. I, I, I don't think you did this thing right. When I want to be someone else or wanting big picture, another kind of life, I'm saying, God, you did a mess up on my life. Why didn't you make me with his looks, or why didn't you make me with her skills? You know, why can't you give me his tools in my garage? Okay, all those kinds of things we do. And it's questioning God's right to make me the way he wanted me to. So here's what God says in Psalm 139, or God tells us, God, you create every part of me, put me together in my mother's womb. You saw me before I was even born, scheduled every day of my life before I began even to breathe. What God's saying is I made you to be exactly you, exactly you. 
Um, the issue is becoming what you're capable of becoming by recognizing your own uniqueness. Second thing is I have to run my own race. And I, and I, and I really want you to get this concept. I really like this concept. There's a great verse in the book of Hebrews that says, let's run with endurance the race God has set before us. Now, all of us, whether it's in middle school or high school or something, we've ran around a track, okay? You, you've, you know, you've all done the running around the track thing. And, and when you run around a track, there's lane, lane markers and there's, 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 there's lanes that you are supposed to stay in. And when you're running your race, you you are called to stay in between those two lines. That's, that's, your, that's, your, that's your race line. Those are your, your lines. The, the idea is a race that God has for you to run. Now, in a track, we're all kind of running around the same track. Let's take away this analogy. Um, God has a path for you to run that's yours and yours alone, just like your lane to run. And nobody else can run it but you. And he needs you to run that one. He needs you to be unique in the race that you're running here. God's uniqueness in your life, it's, it's your speed, it's your race. You gotta run it. And God has outlined your path to, to run and maybe it goes up all kinds of hills and theirs goes flat. And you're gonna wanna look down as you're climbing up all these crazy hills and think how come theirs is so easy and smooth and nice, why not mine? But God needs you up on that hill. You see, that's where God needs you. And the hill may include all kinds of trials and problems and, and challenges, but God has that for you. Run the race that's your race. You can't run their race. You shouldn't run their race. You weren't designed to run that. You weren't built to run that race. And God needs you to run your race, and he needs me to run my race. End of the Bible, um, book of John there is a, um, a, a very interesting story, and it involves Jesus and Peter and John. Jesus has already been, been resurrected, and he's kind of giving the disciples final instructions. And one of the things, and if you read the whole context of, 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 of the story, the whole part of it is Peter denied Jesus three times, you know, at the trial, um, at the betrayal, and, and, and he denied Jesus three times. So Jesus is kind of doing this restoration thing. And, and, and they're on the seashore, and Jesus is having this conversation with Peter, and John is there, okay? John is there as well. And Peter is, 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 is being told gently by Jesus, you know, do you really love me? Remember that story? Do you, do you really love me? Do you love me? And Peter keeps saying, yeah, I do. She said, do you really do it? Denied him three times, you know. Do you really, really love me, Peter? Remember it? You remember that? And, and Peter's just kind of saying, yeah, I, I really do. And then, and then Jesus keeps saying, you know, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. I want, you to, I want you to learn from this and grow and get out there and, you know, touch other people's lives. And, and um, Peter sees John. And, and, and he's, he's probably a little bugged that Jesus is taking him to task for this. And so he, 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 the Bible says this. Um, Peter asked Jesus, what about him? What about that guy? You know, what about, what about John? What about him? What about, what he's saying is what about his story? What about his life? What about his path? What about his race? Jesus replied, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? Powerful statement, he says next. As for you, two words, What? follow me. That's it, Peter. You don't worry about their path, and you don't worry about their race, and you don't worry about their uphills, and you don't worry about their downhills. You don't worry about their successes or their failures. Your role, your job, the freedom you have now is to do one thing, and that's to what? Follow Christ. You follow 
me. So sometimes I want to say, well, what about him? What about his church? What about their demographic population and their county growth? You know, so their church is this or that. What Jesus would say to me is, what does that matter to you, Paul? What's the big deal? As for you, the one thing I want you to do, the only thing I've called you to do, the most important thing you could ever do, follow me. So you run your race. You run your race because no one else can run your race. Give thanks, next is, and rejoice in what I have. The Bible says whatever is good and perfect comes to us from God above, who created all heaven's lights. Unlike them, he never changes or casts a shifting shadow. That means if it's good, it's come from God. God's given it to you. And therefore, we are called to say, God, thank you for that which you've given me. Um, great verse that says, give thanks in all circumstances. All circumstances, no matter what. Because you're in God's place. You're in God's plan. That's why the Bible says it's better to be satisfied with what you have than to always be wanting something else. But we know that's true. A lot of times we want to think if I could just have their life, then life would be so great. You know, so great. New neighbors move in next door, you know, and, and they, they seem like they got everything. You know, they get their whole house remodeled. They got exterior redone. The cars they drive are just awesome, you know, and... You find out what they have, and you just think, wow, if only I could have their life, it could be so great. You don't know what you can't know. And behind those closed doors, their lives may be horrific and challenging. We don't know that. We imagine things that aren't really true. And then to move this one on, because comparison eliminates this, but this is where we're supposed to be. Be thankful for what God has done in others' lives. And here's where it becomes the best. You know, where you can be thankful for somebody else's success. That's maturity. That's contentment. When I'm not so worried about it, so when I hear about their success, I'm not freaked out about, well, what about me? When I can just simply say, as for me, I'm following Christ. They're following Christ. God bless them. Isn't that great? And so the Bible says this. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who, who weep. Jealousy, by the way, flips that around. Jealousy makes me rejoice when others weep. And it makes me weep when others rejoice. What kind of a life is that? You know? Um, what kind of a life would we live if we were always like that? Finally, the last thing is relax. Just relax in several things. And, and these are some of the awesome things that we can relax in. Relax in God's control of your life. If you want to be content, relax that God really is in control of this deal. He calls the shots. Lovingly, wisely, he's calling the shots. And, and our faith and trust in that makes all the difference in the world. He planned your life from day one. Don't you think he's planned it for day 10,642? You know, God's in control. Relax in his love. When good things happen in your life, it's an act of God's what? God's love. When problems come into your life, it's an act of God's what? God's love. Um, when pressure comes into your life, it's an act of God's love. My brain isn't big enough to get it, but I can relax in it, and this is where my faith, hope, comes in. And finally, relax in his plan because he knows what's best for me. Great great prayer. Psalm 119, God turned me away from wanting any other plan 
than yours. I don't want any other plan, God, than yours. Because I want you to go away today feeling joyful and hope-filled that God's a good God. He's in charge of life. And nothing that's going to happen today is going to be out of his control. And you don't have to worry about the person as you're driving away their car, their 401k, their kid's education, how it's been paid for by somebody. You don't worry about that. You worry about your life and the life that God is working in it. Great story. Um, um, wonderful thing. John, John the Baptist was he's called the forerunner of Jesus, or he came just you know, a couple years or a few months before Jesus kind of hit the scene. And, and John hit the scene real big. And he's down at the Jordan River, and he's baptizing all kinds of people. And people are just streaming to him. You know, big lines of people are coming, 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 coming. And it's great. And he's saying, look, you've got to repent. You know, there's one coming who's really greater than I am, you know, really so he's the one you're going to want to listen to. And he baptized them just kind of to, to get rid of their, help them figure out this whole sin thing and be ready for Jesus to come. And then Jesus comes. And when Jesus came, all of a sudden, all the crowds that were coming to John go to Jesus. Boom, you know, boom, you know. And and because um, Jesus really could turn water into wine, okay. Um, so they're all going now to Jesus. And and then John's kind of main guys, his main helpers, his staff, would you say, came and said, John, something's going wrong here, you know. They're all following him, not you. And all of a sudden what they're doing is the comparison thing, that this is some kind of a competition. You know, your ministry versus his ministry. John makes a great statement, classic statement, and it's, it's, boy, it's one of those verses that hit me and helped transform my life. Anyone know what he said? John said, he must, what? Increase. And I must, what? Decrease. And our lives, the way it should be, is always, Jesus, it's not about me. It's not about me. You must increase. Whatever it takes, whatever it means, whatever it looks like, you must increase. I must decrease. Let's pray, okay? Can we? Can we pray together? Maybe something said, the Holy Spirit moved in your life, and you've been dissatisfied, uncomfortable, feeling weird out because you're kind of in a woe is me and poor me and why not me thing and um, it's not because you're a bad person you do that it's because you're a human being you do that and I do it and we stumble and fall because of this God would not be scolding us right now he would be saying trust me trust me Trust me in my love for you. Trust me in my care for you. Can I give us the faith and the hope to be completely absorbed in your increasing through our lives? You increase. It's okay if we decrease. Help us run, Father, our paths, our lanes. Help us to run our race strong and with hope and with joy. Be thankful for every little thing we've got. And even be thankful for every little thing we think we should have, but don't. You got this, God, because you've got us. And you've always had us because you've always loved us. And so allow us to have that joy in this day. And we thank you so much for all of this in Christ's name.